Mike Elkin Radio. Apple and Google are updating their mobile operating systems to help ease the coronavirus crisis. Unfortunately, it won't make a big impact on containing the virus. Hi, this is Mike in Silicon Valley. I told you last week about my belief that wearables combined with artificial intelligence would make the coronavirus crisis the world's last pandemic. That's because companies and universities are feverishly, well, feverish is probably inappropriate here, but feverishly building the capacity to use smartwatches and smart rings to diagnose infection in the people who wear them and smart glasses to diagnose infection in others. Once wearables can reliably identify the sick, then only the sick need to be quarantined. Infected people won't be allowed to travel and viruses won't be allowed to spread globally. No more pandemics. I'm a lot less bullish on the initiative by Apple and Google. The companies refuse to call their system contact tracing, but instead accurately call it exposure notification. To be clear, Apple and Google have done a great thing here. They've put aside their rivalry to work together on a cross-platform way for health authorities to leverage smartphones in their fight against the coronavirus. Real contact tracing is old school. Here's how it works. A human interviews a patient who has tested positive for a contagion. They find out who that patient has been in contact with and where they've been. Then they contact people who may have been exposed and ask similar questions. And they keep going as far as they can, notifying everyone along the way who might have caught the bug so they can self-quarantine. Apple and Google's exposure notification uses Bluetooth to record contact with other users of exposure notification. They use randomly generated numbers and encryption to ensure user privacy, which is great. And when somebody tests positive, the system notifies other users who may, may have been exposed. It's a great system. It's really, really good. But although exposure notification may help a little, it won't greatly impact our efforts to contain the coronavirus while we wait for a vaccine. For starters, it relies on frequent, accurate, and universal testing. Users are notified of exposure only after someone takes a test and tests positive. For the foreseeable future, the vast majority of Americans are not going to be tested regularly. How many times have you personally been tested for COVID-19? Once? Never? Exposure notification works only if users are being frequently tested. Another reason why we can't rely heavily on exposure notification is that it doesn't take into account all the many ways we can catch the virus. You can hang out with infected people who didn't opt in to exposure notification. You can touch infected surfaces. You can walk into a room or a bus or a train or an Uber where the virus is hanging in the air. You can get it from your kids who got it from other kids. Exposure notification tracks none of this. And unlike contact tracing, exposure notification only goes to one level of contact. If you test positive, it tells the users who, were, who you were in contact with, but not the people they were in contact with afterwards. Exposure notification will never be universal. Most U.S. smartphone users will probably not opt in. And some nations won't use it at all, countries like the UK and Australia. So while I applaud Apple and Google for doing something uncharacteristic, working together to save lives with no profit motive and no way to trace and track users, 
We can't rely on exposure notification to save humanity and the economy from the ravages of the coronavirus. Only accurate, frequent, and universal testing, combined with an army of trained contact tracers and strong, smart social distancing measures, can do that. And the United States is, n is not preparing to do any of this. Thanks to Apple and Google, Silicon Valley is doing its part. Unfortunately, Washington, D.C. is failing us completely. While we've been quarantining in place in Silicon Valley, like a lot of people, we've been doing uh, a lot more cooking than usual. On Sunday, my wife, Amira, made some pupusas, and uh, she's doing something really interesting with them. So what in the hell are you doing? I am in the process of creating masa for pupusas. Pupusas. So pupusas. So for those unfamiliar, what, what are pupusas? Pupusas are uh, made out of uh, corn, nextamalized mm -hmm. corn, mm -hmm. same kind that you would normally use for, say, tortillas. And nextamalized means that it is essentially cooked, and in modern times they typically cook it with uh, lime, limestone? Limestone, yes. In some countries they'll use just a little bit of, of wood ash. Mm -hmm. uh, in that process alkalinizes the, the corn and uh, gets rid of the phytic acid, mm -hmm. which is what uh, causes uh, the Mineral prevention, yes, prevention of absorption of and it minerals. also makes available vitamins and stuff. Makes it, it more, much bio, more nutritious. Bioavailable. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and pupusas are Salvadoran. This, these are, I think, lots of people have had them in restaurants, Salvadoran restaurants. We've certainly had them in restaurants in El Salvador, also homemade in El Salvador. You're making them from scratch, but you're doing something. You, a little bit of witchcraft. So what are you doing yeah. exactly? Well, so typically pupusas uh, in El Salvador can be made of corn, and they make, make them of fresh corn. They actually grind the nextamalized corn, yeah. and they turn it into masa, which is the corn dough. Right. Uh, there's also rice pupusas. Alexa, stop. I need to check. Follow me. I need to okay. check the garlic and I'm roasting in the oven, and it's ready. Okay. So... Can you hear the garlic, everyone? It smells delicious. Yeah, are you going to use those for the pupusas? Pupusas and um, also making a uh, dip, a artichoke spinach dip with um, with goat cheese. Aha. So um, anyway, and the reason I'm doing that is because we have spinach. We ha the reason we're doing that, I'm doing that, is because we have spinach that's about to go bad, mm -hmm. and I don't like any food waste, so I always yeah. try to find ways to make something that utilizes the ingredients that are about to go bad. So I don't like to no waste food either. That's why I, I try to make it a practice to overeat. Right, which you do. Anyway, so moving on, we, we uh, so you're doing so something anyway, different. So, so yeah. I was saying El Salvador, they make also out of rice, white rice. Okay. Um, and pupusas al Salvadoran. And uh, in this case, what I'm doing, I'm taking um, 
dehydrated nixtamalized corn essentially mm -hmm. which is turned into corn flour okay and, but it's not corn flour it's mazarina so corn flour it's not nixtamalized you'll find it in the store as corn flour which so if i'm going to make american it. cornbread that is not nixtamalized correct you would use some corn flour but if i'm going to make tortillas and i go to the uh, latin market or mm -hmm. some other place to get to get that that is nixtamalized uh, that's right. Mazarina is nixtamalized. By definition. Uh, yes. So uh, I like to use uh, wine, white mazarina. Mm -hmm. uh, this particular one uh, we got in uh, Rainbow Market in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, and I only use organic because uh, I don't want GMO corn. You don't know where it's been. I don't know where it's been or how it's been produced. So in this case, I'm making uh, something that I've never heard uh, anyone do and so um, I'm all about um, ferment fermented foods yes uh, because they they maximize the nutritional value of food and they get rid of the anti-nutrients like again phytic acid and they make it they optimize it for for nutrient absorption and you like culture and I like culture in every way <laughs> um, especially culture that you know lives in my gut flora it, the the uh the anytime you you know when, whenever you're doing fermentation whether you're making sauerkraut you make you make fermented fermented hot sauce which we're going to have with those pupusas you make uh, cheese you ferment olives you you make wine you anything that ferments something tends to make it a lot healthier yes and so even though nobody does uses fermented tortillas or mm -hmm. or pupusas you figure it's got to make it healthier right because everything else does right absolutely because because um i mean it's not my opinion science science uh, science tells us that a healthy gut flora yeah um it's uh, makes for a, a healthier uh, immune system and a healthy immune system makes for a healthier person and so, of course, it's part of a, a well-balanced diet in countries where people eat a lot more fermented foods. They don't suffer from all the stuff that afflicts uh, American people, for instance, including things like dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, cancer, that's way more prevalent in the U.S. than in other countries where they're eating and drinking a lot of fermented foods. Right. So, okay, so, so, I don't, so just to be very, very clear, if people are unfamiliar with pupusas, they are essentially... Thick tortillas stuffed with something, usually cheese, sometimes beans and cheese, sometimes just beans. What else can you stuff a pupusa with? Uh, typically in El Salvador, they, they do uh, also uh, an herb plant called Oroco, which is the flower of a type of agave plant. And they're little, they're little chunk, they're little like diced green things in the, yes. in the cheese. Yeah. Yeah, they literally look like little flower buds. Yeah, but they're um, delicious in a pupusa. Yeah, yes. Uh, they, um, they remind me that there's a flower um, called Azucenas in Spanish. Um, rose, what is it? Oh my goodness, it escapes me. Is it cactus flower or something? No, no, it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, aromatic, aromatic uh, flower. Uh-huh. I can't remember what it's called. Okay. But anyway, um, the looks of that flower, Azucenas is in Spanish. Mm -hmm. We were just in Mexico mm -hmm. like six weeks ago, so that's why I remember that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
uh, they looked kind of like that. They have yeah. a little, they're white and they have green and you put that in the pupusas and they're delicious and there's no way to explain. There's no translation for the flower as far as I know. Right, I've done that research before. Flower. Yes, and they only grow in that particular region. There's probably a Latin. Yeah, so there's also some that they, uh, chicharron, mm-hmm. which is, but chicharron, Mexican chicharron, is uh, it's pork skin that's yes. been deep fried. Yes. In El Salvador, chicharron is actually chunks of meat that's been fried in a lot of oil. Okay. And so they take pork, fried pork meat and they grind it and they make that, they combine it, they make pupusas out of that as yeah. well, which, okay. which are delicious. I usually okay. don't eat that, but great. But they're delicious. All right, so we'll, we'll check in on this project um, once I have stuffed my face with stuffed Masarina. Who says you're getting any? <laughs> I was just assuming. What have you done to earn it? <laughs> I'm recording this whole project on a podcast. What else do I have to do? It's a, it's a media play, isn't it? All right. Anyway, okay, well, great. Um, I'm really excited. I mean, we just spent a lot of time in El Salvador um, mm-hmm. over the holidays, and that was delicious. So yeah, I'm really looking forward. And you made pupusas like two weeks ago? I did, yes. And those were the best pupusas I've ever had in my entire life. So. Yes, yeah. So this will also, by the way, I don't know that you mentioned, you mentioned curtido, but you didn't mention. You use it, you make, make your own curtido that's, yeah, that's I make it like, like sauerkraut. Yeah. It's fermented like sauerkraut. Which has got to be what curtido used in, to be. Yes, but it's, uh, in, what makes uh, curtido is the fact that it has uh, oregano in it, dried yeah. oregano. And So uh, picture sauerkraut that's just with vinegar, the way they make it. Yes. In a restaurant, if you mm-hmm. go there, it's, it's cabbage, maybe Onions, carrots. carrots. Vinegar, oregano, and it's tasty, but it's not nearly as tasty as when you ferment it like sauerkraut. Yeah, that's right. All right. Wonderful. This is really exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to these pupusas. So you're churning out pupusas, and they look amazing. They look like really thick tortillas, like maybe... You had, they're about as thick as like maybe if you had a stack of five or six store-bought tortillas, that's about how thick they are. And you hand-make every one, and you're stuffing them with, these are, these are stuffed with cheese, and you have roasted garlic in the cheese, right? I actually have raw garlic. I put the, the, the roasted garlic went into the, into the um, dip, the artichoke dip. Oh, okay. Great. So what you're doing is essentially very similar to what they do in El Salvador. They have masa, which is, you know, it's the, it's the dough essentially for tortillas, essentially. And then, and you and so you're patting them. You can't do this with a tortilla press. You have to do each one by hand, unlike tortillas, which are typically done with the tortilla press. And so you've got a beautiful one right there. Yes. But you're doing something different other than using organic ingredients and a few other um, quality enhancements. You're also doing something pretty radical that I've never heard of before. Yes, the fermented masa. So, because I knew I, went, I wanted to make pupusas over the weekend, I started, from, I made a starter that I've been working on for about five, six days. And essentially I was feeding it just like a sourdough starter, taking half of it and then replacing some of the fresh, with fresh masarina and, and water. And it got very fermented. And um, yeah, got like really fluffy. Yeah, again. and so it becomes essentially became like a lavand that you use in sourdough bread. 
So I took that and I added it to masa early today and then I mixed it with water and masarina and then I let it sit there for several hours. And what I noticed is that it's actually a lot easier to handle it. Is the is the the dough essentially more more pliable, more it it's, is. it's less kind of it doesn't rip and tear as much as a little That's bit more right. pliable. Yes. Way more. So it's it's really nice feel to it and the pupusas look beautiful as yeah. you can see and it's this is all a handmade process. So again I take a chunk about the size of a what would you say tennis ball? Maybe a little it's smaller. Somewhere between a golf ball and a tennis ball. Ye it's a little smaller than a tennis ball. It's like Ye half a tennis ball size. Yes. And then I, I make a little uh, half ball. Kind of yeah, it's a little bowl shape. Yeah. It's a bowl shape yeah. uh, on my hand. And I just, I, I sit it on my hand and then I push with my fingers to form it into a, a ball. And then I take the cheese that's going to go inside. And by the way, this cheese is, um, it's uh, goat cheese, it's chef. Uh, so it's creamy, creamy goat cheese with uh, sheep pecorino. So it's sheep and goat. Yeah. And, to end with and I added a lot of raw garlic. What I mean, would they use in El Salvador? Uh, in El Salvador, they would use, El uh, Salvador makes amazing cheeses, so they would use uh, a kind of a farmer's cheese. It's pretty much all cow Mixed, now, right? yeah, cow, yes. Uh, with uh, a hard cheese, a, an aged cheese. They would they combine it. it. Yes, okay. yes, they do. And so um, I'm using cheeses that have a lot of flavor, but, you know, that are part of the Spartan diet, so goat and, goat and and sheep and these are delicious and and the garlic adds so much flavor to this as well and so now you saw I put so the sort the of cover the bowl and close it on yeah top. And, and I now, close it on top almost it's almost like closing a dumpling mm -hmm. and then I've never closed a dumpling personally. and then and then and you slap it around a bit like it owes you money <laughs> yes I'm beating the crap out of it so and then, voila! Pupusa, amazing. It's the miracle of the pupusa. It's very easy to make, but I'm telling you, the fermented masa makes it so much easier. It never takes me so little time to make one. Not only have I now. never tasted that, I've never even found when searching anybody doing that. No, I might be the first person in history. At least it's possible that once upon a time, you know, natives used to make it like that. Who knows? Could be. But, um, yeah, I've never seen it done. This is my own thing. And of course, natives would have done something else. They wouldn't have stuffed it with cheese. They would have stuffed it with other things because yes. the cheese arrived with the Spanish. And the the um, Mesoamerican peoples had neither cheese nor salt. That's right. So they, so they spice everything with chilies and, you know, cactus and all kinds. You can, you can put anything inside a pupusa, yes. really. And then I use a cast iron pan or a griddle. We have both. In El Salvador, I use you see, both. You, in, in El Salvador you see people by the side of the road with big flat griddles, the kind you find in a diner making pancakes or whatever. Yes, that's right. And yet in, in the countryside, I remember when I was a little girl, you know, they would use comales made out of clay. And those are ideal. I wouldn't mind one. Why don't we have one? We actually have one in, in storage. In storage? <laughs> Right, because we live out of a suitcase and it's not practical to carry a Kamal when not we really. travel around. Okay, so you're about to throw this thing in the pan. Yes, 
so I need to wait for it to be a little hot. So that's one of the things you have to make sure that it's it's um, it's pretty hot when you put it on the pan, on the pan. And then it cooks for about one minute on one side, and then you flip it over. You can use um, a spatula, and I'm just gonna put it there. And we've seen pupusa makers in El Salvador, and they'll be the person who's making the pupusa is like 10 feet away from the grill and will chuck it, right? Yes. It's pretty amazing. Like a, like a frisbee. Yeah. They're quite talented at doing that. Maybe that's the next day I'll attempt. Yeah. Yeah, pupusa frisbee tournaments. It's a great idea. The sound of pupusas. Frying on a not in a frying. Pan. Well on a pan, whatever you call it. Grilling on a on a pan. Yes, they're being grilled. There's no such thing as a fried pupusa. No, I'm now I'm being grilled. Yes, because it's, <laughs> it's preposterous what you just suggested. The pan literally I, I honestly has a, don't know, really know the difference between frying and grilling, but that that's why uh, But then don't misinform your listeners. That's what you're here to do. Exactly, to that's why I'm correcting you. I find that really vexing. <laughs> Frankly. It's a dynamite <laughs> concept, isn't it? <laughs> well, what it works for. <laughs> yeah, in case you had, didn't know, we're married, so. Let's see how beautiful they look. Yeah, that's amazing. So the best... The best um, place to grill them with is uh, it's it's on a, a griddle or or a cast iron pan. Both our griddle and this are cast iron. And what you do is you just put a tiny little bit of oil and you just coat it. But you, there's no accumulated oil in the pan. Yeah. Um, and at some point, the cheese oozes out of the pupusa, and the cheese kind of... It kind of gets underneath and then cooks. Yeah, and cooks. And, and then it's becomes chewy. Oh, so delicious. Yeah. It's just fantastic. So yeah. um, we're going to do a little video to have a demo on the website for people who want to see how I make a pupusa and how it cooks. And at some point, I will publish the recipe on the Spartan Diet. Dot org. Okay. Spartandiet.org. Sounds good. Mike Elgin Radio has no commercial advertising or sponsorship. It's supported entirely by listeners like you. Please consider joining my Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com elgin. You can find all my ad-free columns, blogs, and email newsletters at elgin.com. Thanks for listening.